You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. After all, since Jesus fed them once, wouldn't he be a great food source? So let's follow him. If we follow him, we'll never be hungry. We read last week as Jesus points out to the crowd, hey, there's two types of food. There's the physical food that does sustain life. And then there's a inner man food, a spiritual food. And this is more important than the physical. This leads to everlasting life. Jesus is saying that what we really need is not food, What we really need is life. Jesus is the source of hope and strength you need to never be in need of anything on this earth. Today, Pastor Dave is going to encourage you to always look to Jesus to provide for your needs and sustain you in every way. The more you lean on Him, the less daunting the trials and tribulations of this life will become. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Bread of Life. study in the Gospel of John. We're still in chapter 6, and today we're going to be looking at verses 30 through 40. Verses 30 through 40, so if you would turn into your Bibles to John chapter 6 and find those verses. Should you need a Bible to follow along with us, raise your hand, and we'll get you one to follow along. Well, doesn't look like we have anybody. That makes me very happy. You're all bringing your swords to a church with you. Good deal. So, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. I will read aloud. If you will follow along silently, please. Verse 30. Therefore, they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me And yet, do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So as I read this passage this week and began to study it, the thought came to my mind that many, many times I've eaten, you can tell. Many, many times I've eaten and very good meals. My wife is an excellent cook. But 
even after eating a good meal, sometimes I'm hungry again. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we eat and we eat and we eat, become filled, and then the next word out of our mouth is, what's for dessert? Sometimes we eat and we eat and we never seem to be satisfied with what we eat. I mean, you can ask Beatrice and she'll tell you there are evenings when I sit there and I'm never satisfied. I can't feel the hunger within. And believe me, I try. I try. I go from the snacks and I have to admit, first I hit the Atkins snacks. Got to watch the old, you know. I hit the Atkins snacks and then I move to the ice cream and then I move to the peanut butter and then I move to the crackers. Then I move to the chips and I move to, you know, you know the story. I can't satisfy that hunger that's in me. I can't satisfy that deep hunger. I'm looking for the physical food that sustains life or actually gives me some pleasure. But in our text, Jesus is offering a different kind of food. He's offering not the physical food that will sustain your physical body. He's offering the spiritual food, a food that sustains you to everlasting life, a food that will not perish And if I partake of this food, Jesus says, two things are going to happen. I will never hunger nor thirst again. Interesting passages. Jesus said to Satan when he was being tempted, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But we always hunger for the physical food. We want our bodies sustained by this food. But Jesus is offering today a food that doesn't perish, a food that will be eternal, a food that will sustain your life spiritually. As we read our verses, we see Jesus still speaking to the crowd, the same crowd that he spoke to yesterday, the same crowd that wanted to make him king because they saw the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. They followed him all the way to Capernaum. And upon finding him, they wanted him once again to meet their physical need. We spoke of this last week. They were seeking Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They were seeking him for what he could give them, physical food. They were hungry. The meal they had yesterday had long been absorbed, and they were hungry again. They wanted that physical food. They had eaten the bread of the world and remained hungry. The bread that perishes. I mean, after all, since Jesus fed them once... Wouldn't he be a great food source? So let's follow him. If we follow him, we'll never be hungry. We read last week as Jesus points out to the crowd, hey, there's two types of food. There's the physical food that does sustain life. And then there's a inner man food, a spiritual food. And this is more important than the physical. This leads to everlasting life. Jesus is saying that what we really need is not food. What we really need is life. What we really need is life. And then he says that this life is a gift. Life is a gift and it has been given to you by my father. Only God can give life. Only God can give this gift. And this is the one thing that drives Satan crazy. Only God can create life. Satan cannot create life. Only God creates life. As I said, the food Jesus was referring to was spiritual. Spiritual food. Food that lasts. Food that fills the hunger for righteousness deep inside every man, deep inside every woman. Yes, indeed, we are born into sin. We are born into sin. That's scriptural. But I also believe that there's a hunger and and thirst for righteousness built into every man and women. Many people call it a God-shaped hole. There's a need 
for hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a need for righteousness. We have that need. Man has a longing to be right with God. Man has a longing to be holy like God, if you will. And he has a longing to just be like God. He wants to be like God. And we've had this conversation before. We said that in, in Genesis it says, and God made man into his image. And for over thousands of years, man has been trying to return the favor and make God into his image. Jesus looked out upon the multitude on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, and he cries out, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy your soul is when you are filled with righteousness. The righteousness that lasts, a God kind of righteousness. The righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. No other righteousness will suffice. No other righteousness will do what the righteousness of Christ does for you. For the righteousness of Christ gives you life and life eternal. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. One commentator said this describes a profound hunger that cannot be satisfied by a meal or a snack. He continues and says this is a longing that endures and is never really completely satisfied this side of eternity. But yet how many of us try to satisfy this hunger with works? How many of us try to satisfy this hunger for righteousness by working for God? I mean, we really need to know God. And what we try to satisfy this hunger for righteousness by working, thinking it'll get us closer to God, or even worse, thinking that we can earn our salvation by working. Oh, you know, we do this, we do that. We help this person, we help that person, we give to the church, and we believe that we're doing good things, and probably are. These are probably good things, but you know what? It never seems to be enough, does it? Because there's always more to do. There's always more to do, and we always look for more to do. Surely I can do more for God. Surely I can give God more. Surely I can do this. Surely I can do that. And when we do these things, we think we find favor with God. If I do these things, God's going to love me more. He'll bless me more. That's not true. God can never love you more than he does right now. He can never love you more than he does right now. He loves you with an everlasting love, a love that will never go away, a love that never fails, a love that never fades. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. We try and we try and we try and we try. We try to fill that hunger for righteousness inside us. And what happens? We can become steeped in the religious box. We become steeped in religion, trying to earn our way to God. We think we have our way to eternal life by doing this. The crowd pressured Jesus and says, what must we do to do the works of God? Tell us, we want to do the works of God. What must we do? But they wanted the food that did not perish. They wanted to do God's work, but they were thinking physically. They were thinking on a physical plane, not a spiritual plane. And Jesus always talks to the spiritual. Jesus always talks to that which is spiritual. They were thinking physically. Jesus made it clear. There's only one work, if you want to call it that, necessary. Only one work. And that's believe upon him who God sent. Jesus was saying, believe upon the living God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation for your sin, to come in your stead. Believe upon him and you'll find life. Rest for your souls. And this is where we pick up our study for today. And hearing this, the crowd says this in verse 30, therefore, the therefore is therefore what we just talked about. 
They said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Show us a sign. Show us a sign and we'll believe. I wonder how Jesus bit his tongue. I wonder how he bit his tongue. It's almost as saying, the loaves and the fishes. What do you mean, show us a sign? Didn't you just eat from the loaves and the fishes? What do you mean, show us a sign? Wasn't that yesterday? And you know, when I read this and I thought of this, I laughed too. But then I got convicted. Oh, how many times do I quickly forget what God has accomplished in my life? How many times do I quickly forget and say, God, what have you done for me lately? How many times do I see miracle after miracle after miracle happening in front of me? And all of a sudden I say, well, God, where are you? It's like you're saying, duh, what's wrong with you? Jesus is saying to him, guys, open your eyes. But remember, remember what he said to Nicodemus. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. They don't have spiritual eyes to see. So they're seeing with the physical, not the spiritual. Sadly, many of us today still seek Jesus only for signs and wonders. We want new signs and wonders every day. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. Every day we want a new sign. We forget what he's done. We forget the cross. You remember when they asked him for a sign, he said there'll be no other sign except the sign of Jonah, where Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. So shall some son of man be in the belly of the earth for three days. He's talking about the resurrection. What do we need? What more sign do we need? Signed and wonders are great, and they can lead a person towards belief in God, and they can even validate a message from God. But they can also have no effect on a person. And Satan can use lying signs and wonders to deceive. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, says this, The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So you start following signs and wonders, do you? And pretty soon you get sucked into looking for the signs and the wonders. And someone comes along doing signs and wonders and you go, ooh, ah. And it turns out you get deceived because it's Satan. You've got to be careful. We have to be ever so careful. The coming of the lawless one, Paul says, it's the Antichrist. We know signs and wonders from God are obviously good things, but they should not form the foundation of our faith. Signs and wonders should not form the foundation of our faith. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is the basis for my faith. What he did on the cross is the basis for my faith. We should not depend upon signs and wonders to prove God for us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. I look at one commentator said this. I love this. Listen to this. Quote, in themselves, signs and wonders cannot change the heart. Israel saw incredible signs at Mount Sinai and even heard the voice of God. Yet a short time later, they worshiped the golden calf, unquote. Why did the Jews seek signs and wonders from Jesus? There's a reason that I found out. It's pretty interesting. Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be equal with God. We had that whole study on the claims of Jesus, remember, in chapter 5. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. He claimed that he came from God, which meant he was the Messiah. It meant he was the Messiah, the one that God would send. But the rabbis of that day actually taught that when the Messiah came, he would duplicate Moses' miracles. 
the Messiah would duplicate the manna coming down from heaven. So the Jews who think this is the Messiah naturally saying, okay, show us a miracle. Where's the bread? Where's the manna coming down from heaven? If you claim to be the Messiah, if you want us to believe that you're sent from God, bring the bread down. They're still thinking physically. They're still thinking with their tums. We're hungry. Do for us what Moses did. Look at verse 31, back on John. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Show us, show us. Their faith wasn't based on the truth in God's word. Their faith was based on what they could see, what they could eat, how they could fill their stomach. That's what their faith is. And this is a dangerous place for us to be. If all you're relying on is a sign or a wonder to prove God to you and to do something for you, you could be easily swayed into believing the lie. Here's why. In verse 31, they quote Psalm 78, 24. If you read Psalm 78, it's all about rebellion. It's all about rebellion, how the Jews rebelled against God and his order. So here they are basically quoting a psalm that's convicting them. That's how confused they were. One commentator I read said this, quote, by magnifying the miracles of Moses, they undervalued the miracle of Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000 for one day. Moses fed hundreds of thousands for 40 years. And they lifted Moses up above Jesus Christ. We had this conversation. I know of Jews today who still lift Moses up above Jesus Christ. They still lift them up because that's what they're taught. But Jesus is the truth. And he wants the people to understand the truth. He wants people to know the truth, to be set free by the truth. So he replies and he corrects their thinking. Look at 32 and 33. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, verily, verily, for you King James people, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It wasn't Moses, it was my father. It was my father that sent the bread from heaven. And here Jesus calls God his father once again, claiming that equal this, claiming that one name. He's saying, get your eyes off Moses and put them back on God. Get your eyes off Moses and put them on God. Jesus was speaking of something greater than manna. He was speaking something greater than anything. He was speaking about himself. He was relying on himself. What God gave the fathers in the wilderness is past. It's done. And he's going to say, when we read next week, that your fathers ate manna in heaven and they still died. They're gone. Father is now giving them the true bread. The Father is giving to them. Our God is a giving God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He's giving to the world the true bread. Jesus stands before them. Jesus is standing right before them saying these things. They saw the miracles. They saw him. They hear his words. They said nobody can speak like that unless he's from God. Even Nicodemus said nobody can do the things you do unless God shows you. And they don't believe. They don't believe. But in verse 34, the crowd becomes intrigued. Look at verse 34. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. (laughs) Very similar. Remember when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, The water I give you, you'll never thirst again. What was her reply? Give me the water. These guys are saying, give us this bread. Yeah, give us this stuff. We want it. Did they really want what Jesus offered? Did they really understand what Jesus was offering? I don't think they did. I think they were still looking for a physical need. They were still looking for a physical need. And Jesus answers them with this glorious news, this beautiful, beautiful statement as we read in verse 35. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In his answer, Jesus says, okay, forget Moses, please. Forget earthly bread. Forget the material thing. Forget about me being king. Let's look at what really counts. Let's start talking about spiritual realities. Let's get all the physical behind us. They need to put their confidence now in Jesus Christ as the true bread of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there are areas in my lives that never seem to be satisfied. There are areas that are always crying out for more, more, more. And although we pursue the pleasures of the excitements of the thrills of the world, we quickly learn one thing, that these treasures and the thrills and the excitements, they just don't last. They don't last. They don't fulfill. It wasn't long before we were hungering and thirsting again, was it? I don't know about you, but me. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. God has sent me. And if you eat of me, and you'll never hunger again. And if you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. He explained that the one who comes is him. That is the one who receives him. If you come to Jesus and receive him, receive him spiritually, believe upon him, you're going to find spiritual satisfaction for your hunger and spiritual satisfaction for your thirst. Jesus clearly identified what he was speaking about. The true bread that came from heaven is him. The true bread that came from heaven is him. And he didn't only come for Israel, praise God, he came for the world. In fact, we're going to read that the manna that came down from heaven is a type of Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of the world. He didn't come to just sustain physical life. He came to give life and life eternal. And as we continue in this little mini sermon of his, we're going to find out that he's talking about his coming down seven times, God's perfect number, seven times, his perfect work. This statement once declared declares that he is God. The manna from heaven that our fathers ate was a type of Christ, he's saying. And now the true bread from heaven is standing before you. Jesus is the bread of life. The true bread that came down from heaven, even being born in the house of bread, Bethlehem, house of bread. Jesus fulfilled it. Now this verse in John 6 is one of seven great I am statements in the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. And we're going to study each one as we get to them. Where does this come from? This I am statement. Well, you got to go back to Exodus 3.14. When Moses went up to the burning bush. When Moses went up to see the burning bush. And God told him all the things that he was going to do. Moses really didn't want to do that. So he kept on looking for things that he could talk to God about. And he finally comes up with this one. The Lord, how are they going to know it's you? And who are they going to say? Who sent you? What am I going to say? I'm paraphrasing. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? God said to him, I am that I am. I am sent you. I am. In the Hebrews, it's Hayah. H-A-Y-A-H. In the Greek, it's Ego Amy. E-I-M-I. Ego, E-G-O, E-I-M-I. Ego Amy. It means to become. To become. To make happen. You are sure. The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am. 
In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.